0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 9, and we're going to be starting out in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have them for free, uh, cases of them, because we want to make sure everyone that wants a Bible has one. So if you need one, let us know. We'll give that to you for free. Uh, if you need some way to follow along as we're studying God's Word right now, we will have scriptures on the screens for you to follow along. So praise God for all that. Uh, we are continuing this week in our series, it's called Curious. And so these sermons. Uh, are based on your questions, and we've had some really great questions come in. Uh, The hope is that this series can answer questions that you've had or questions uh, that you've encountered while living and sharing the gospel out in the world. Uh, This week's question was this, does God make mistakes when he creates people? Why do some people, for example, have learning disabilities? So does God make mistakes when he creates people? Uh, One of the specific implications of that question, this person asked about uh, learning disabilities in particular. So this is a great question that is impossible to answer without the Holy Spirit helping the asker and the answerer. Uh, The asker must be truly seeking truth and have their heart open to it by the Holy Spirit. uh, And the answerer (laughs) must trust in the same Holy Spirit to guide their words and not let fear cause them to shrink back from what God's Word teaches about these things. Uh, this this sermon for all of us, if you're engaged, this is going to be like a, a hard climb up a big mountain, but I promise you, if you'll do that, the view at the top is worth it. So we're going to have to do some work together today. We're going to have to trust God as we go. Uh, so the question we got, it asks specifically about learning disabilities. The text that we're going to read, John 9, uh, it deals with a man that is born blind. So the exact struggle is not the same, but the principles surrounding it are. So uh, let's read these verses together. John 9, we're going to do verses 1 through 12, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. As he passed by, he saw a man. That's speaking of Jesus. Jesus had just slipped. Uh, a bunch of people were going to try to stone him, so he, uh, he slips out of that. And then it says, as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Amen. Thank God for his word. So first thing we want to look at here and as we open up out of this text, this subject, I think this is real important. Right off the bat, it says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. So the first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. And this this is truth for every single person that's struggling today with absolutely anything. Uh, You don't have to be born blind. You don't have to be dealing with some physical uh, disability for this to matter. You see that, the man didn't see Jesus. Jesus saw him. And the disciples took notice and then they started asking questions, but Jesus first noticed him. And I'm just asking, can we, can we stare at that fact for a moment and let it encourage us? The fact that Jesus saw this guy. Jesus wasn't willing to do what so many of us, unfortunately, are. Jesus would not simply walk by and ignore this man and his disability. Jesus looked and noticed and we see in verse 6, not only did he see him and notice, but he did something about it. Now, if God directs you and anoints you to make mud with your spit and start rubbing it on suffering people, then I say glory to God and I will hold the Gatorade so that you can stay hydrated so that your spit doesn't dry up. Okay, So that's that's amazing and amen if that happens. But the first step here, and this is what I'm, I'm I want us to be encouraged by it for the implications it has for those of us who are struggling and or suffering right now, but also the call it is to those of us that follow Jesus. The first step before he did any of that was noticing. He just noticed this guy, and he cared, and he moved towards the suffering instead of away from it. And that matters. That says a lot about our God and the way he deals with things. This is the opposite, the exact opposite of what the religious figures did in the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that? They were in a rush to go do something for God, or so they thought, or they they couldn't be bothered with it. They couldn't get get any blood on on their fancy religious clothes. What a shame. One prayer we should pray is that God would help us move towards suffering, no matter how inconvenient it may be or how unqualified we may feel to engage with that suffering. There is an almost unmatched beauty when we as followers of Jesus imitate him in this way because this is how Jesus operated. He didn't run from suffering. He didn't go to the other side of the road. He didn't act like he couldn't see, did he? He locked eyes with it and then he went to and did something about it. Now, we're gonna need God's help for all of that because our natural inclination will be to see and to avoid and for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's not totally that you don't care. Maybe you care, but you just really feel like you don't have anything to bring to that. And many times, dear friend, I would agree with you. You probably don't. But that's why we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, because when you walk over there trusting in Jesus to help you, whether it's to give you some words of encouragement for that person or to bring some type of resources to bear to help in in the midst of their struggling and their suffering, God can help you. And then it matters. And then... It takes away the fear. And uh, I'm just asking you that you would pray and ask God to help you to be that kind of person, to be like Jesus in this thing, that we run towards suffering, not away from it, that we care deeply about it, enough not to just talk about it, that we would even do something. Amen? Amen. This example also provides a reason for hope for all of us today. Uh, Proverbs 15 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on both the wicked and the good. So friend, whatever you're going through today, no matter how desperate and broken you feel, and even if you've run from God, he sees you and his desire for you is good. And so this guy was in a real haggard, difficult situation and and having a disability in any time frame in human history has been difficult, but it was very difficult in this time to be a blind man. He was basically... Uh, his option was to be a beggar. His parents obviously couldn't take care of him anymore, and that that was his station in life. He was stuck, had no way out, didn't seem like there was a lot of reasons for hope, no options. And I know for many of you, maybe you're not blind, maybe you don't sit at the city gate uh, asking for alms, but you may almost to the same degree uh, feel a sense of darkness and hopelessness. You may be struggling deeply with something today, and maybe you've even been tempted to believe the lie that God doesn't see or care And friend, I'm just telling you today, right now, 100%, all the way to the bank, you can be guaranteed because the word of God is true in all that it declares. God sees you. Well, I ran from him, he still sees you. And his desire is for you to draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. I hope you can be encouraged by that. I am. This blind man had no idea at first that the king of glory had fixed his gaze on him. He did not know what he was in store for. And that's, that's what I'm saying to you. Maybe you've been in the midst of a really dark, deep, difficult struggle. Maybe you've been hurting in a way that you can't even verbalize. You can't even tell somebody how bad it hurts. But friend, I'm telling you, the gaze of the King of glory is upon you. And he can bring answers to bear on that that you have not seen yet. And so there is always, and in every situation, reason for hope. I know you don't have the answer, but, but Jesus does will you run to him? That's the question. Will you trust him? As it pertains to this question, does God make mistakes? Why do certain things happen? We, we tend to have the hardest time understanding difficult situations uh, when people are born into them, right? The, the younger the person's suffering, the harder it is for us to reconcile that suffering, with a good and loving God. I think that tends to be true and it's understandable. Uh, But the the fact that this text right here says Jesus encountered, he saw and encountered and dealt with this man that was born blind and then goes into not only Jesus bringing an answer to bear on that, but also the, the, the background, how did we get here, what's going on. This is part of why I trust and, and I have deep affection for the Scriptures. See, the Bible doesn't avoid hard subjects. If this was made up as some people claim, I would have left John nine out of there. <laughs> if you're trying to just paint a real easy thing for people to take in, and and you know, if this was all a big Ponzi scheme as some would say, man, there's some there's some stuff in this Bible we would have took out of here because it's inconvenient, and it's it's difficult. That's why these verses have been avoided largely, <laughs> or you know, dealt with in such a way that they don't reflect almost anything close to what they're actually saying, but the Bible doesn't avoid hard subjects. It doesn't try to paint a picture devoid of difficulties because here's, here's the truth. Life is real and sometimes it's raw and the Bible reflects that reality from front to back. It's not scared of that um, and, and God's not scared, scared of the questions that come out of that and so I'm just thankful that the scriptures are real because if, I had a, if what I had here was just a whitewashed book with, with a lot of like you know, cute poetry and nice quotes, it, it wouldn't be able to bring the life and hope and power to bear that it does on all of life. And so we're in one of those places today. We're asking tough questions. We're coming and we're getting real. Uh, and I hope you're willing to do that with me. I told you, it's going to be a tough climb, but the view of the top's worth it. So praise the Lord for these things. Uh, sometimes we try to deal with... With difficult things by getting out a, a big, broad brush and just painting with it fast, um, and, and what, what I mean by that is we, we tend to overgeneralize. Uh, we try to rationalize struggle um, with our own limited mental faculties and understanding. Um, and, and right here we see the disciples do this. They do this. So. W- it says, Jesus passed by, he saw a, a, a man blind from birth. What did disciples say? Um, what, what they should have asked, in, in my view, if, if they're thinking before they open their mouths, which we all don't do sometimes, they should have just said, why was this man born blind? And they should have stopped and put a period there. But instead, they kept going and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Uh, Instead of stopping with the the main main question, they framed the question with a false belief that was the only way they could understand the situation. This man was born blind. They could only conceive of one possibility because their understanding of God, they did believe God was good and God was worthy to be trusted. So the only way they could conceive of a man being born blind was if there was some kind of sin and this was the result, right? Their sense of justice was, well, if the parents sinned or if he sinned, then he was born blind. I, I don't know how he would have sinned and been born blind. That's an interesting thought. But either way, their whole point is somebody had to have sinned. This was their belief. And, and so they didn't, they didn't leave the question open-ended for the Lord of glory to answer. They were like, you know, Lord, what happened here? Here's, here's option A and B. Pick one of our options. And I think sometimes we do that. Uh, Lord, I, I, I would like you to help me with this. Here's, here's the three ways that I'm okay with you doing that. <laughs> Uh, let's let's open that up. Uh, let's understand that many times he's going to work in ways uh, that we wouldn't have possibly conceived of. So I'm real thankful for that because my imagination is pretty limited. Oh, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know all he knows. And there's so many ways he can help me and teach me and bless me, uh, sometimes break me, uh, that I would have never seen coming. And I need, I need him. I need his ways because they're better than mine and higher than mine. Amen. Amen. Uh, also, I just want to mention there are still people that believe this way today. Their theological framework is if something bad happens, there had to have been a sin because they think very much in a, in a you know quid pro quo justice framework like a bad thing could only happen, something I perceive as a bad thing could only happen if, if I did something bad. Other than that, if I'm good and I follow what I think is the rules, then God either owes me uh, or at least should Um, only allow good things to come my way. And that's a very confusing framework to live in because have you ever experienced something difficult uh, that was not the result of you sinning or somebody else sinning? Have you at least seen that from afar off in someone else's life? Some difficulty come that was not the exact result of sin. And and if somebody teaches you that, then that leaves you there, uh, racking your brain trying to figure out how, okay, what sin did I do that caused this uh, situation to happen? And that's 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 a terrible way to live because the reality is, um, that's that's not the case. It's not that every difficulty, every challenge in our life, is the result of us disobeying God or someone else near us disobeying God. Uh, and Jesus makes that very clear. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, uh, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, I'm I'm going to say a statement, and it's you're going to. Uh, be bewildered by it at first, but then I'm going to break it down. It's, it's a little bit, it's that way on purpose, okay? We need to make a distinction. All suffering is a result of sin, but not every suffering is a result of sin. All suffering is a result of sin, but not every suffering is a result of sin. Who's in charge of Pastor Vince's meds, right? Right? <laughs> because he's confused. Just roll with me for a second. All sin in a broad sense, the fact that anybody's ever been born blind or with any kind of disability, the fact that anybody has ever had sickness, there's been pain of any sort or type in this world is the result of sin. The world is broken, and it is not the perfect place that God first created and placed Adam and Eve in. That is not where we live. We live in a place that is stained and broken as a result of sin. So all Bad things, all difficult things, all struggles are a result of sin, but not every, at the individual level, not every struggle, difficulty, hard situation is directly connected to or the result of a sin. So yes, in a broad sense, sin is the cause of all pain in the world. If there had not been sin, there would be no brokenness. We would be in uninhibited relationship with God. We would have pure um, joy purpose, relationship with God, nothing would be broken, everything would be beautiful. The great news is we're headed back to that uh, by grace through faith in Christ. So, hallelujah. Keep that in mind as we're chugging up this mountain today, okay? But yes, all suffering is a result of sin broadly, but when if something happens in somebody's life and the first thing you go to is... Or, in your life, the first thing you always go to is, well, how did I sin and now God's punishing? Or, or some, something inside of that type of framework. That, according to this and the rest of the scriptures, um, you have a misunderstanding. And, and it leads to all kinds of dangerous misconceptions about who God is and how he operates. Now, let me say this. Not every sin is a result of... Or sorry, not every difficult situation is a result of sin. Some are. Let's, if we stay with the theme of this man was born blind, the question was talking about uh, does God make mistakes in, in informing people? Does uh, he just, some slip through the cracks, and that's why we have uh, the difficult things like learning disabilities and, and other issues. It, so let's just say this if, if a baby is born addicted to heroin, that is directly the result of sin, okay? A plus B equals C. Yes. Now, and that's, when, that's why I started this whole thesis that I'm going through right now with this idea. We tend to overgeneralize. We like neat, tidy answers. Okay, if a baby's born and there's an issue, is there a sin involved? We, we just want a yes or no. And, and the result, the, the, the reality is, the answer is maybe. It's not as clean and tidy as you'd like it to be. You can't take your wide brush on this one and just brush it all over the place, right? And Ultimately, yes, sometimes sins do lead to consequences. But that is not always the case when there's a struggle. The disciples said, why was this man born blind? Did his parents mess up or did he mess up? And what did Jesus say? No. Right? Neither one. Okay? That's all real important. The disciples were focused on the same thing that many of us often are. The cause of the difficult circumstances and not the purpose of it. They were very focused on the cause and not the purpose. See, Jesus, when they want, to know, they want to know what happened, Jesus goes straight to the why of the matter. There was no specific sin that caused this man's blindness, but there was a specific purpose for it. And there is a reason that this text is avoided by many. Uh, there is a wide range of potential reactions you could have even thus far. Uh, Maybe you've heard alternate teachings to the way we're going to go at this. Um, Some of you maybe were hoping for an alternative explanation to what Jesus plainly says here. Maybe you were hoping, well, I hope he goes to the Greek, because what it looks like it's saying is that uh, this guy was born blind, so the works of God might be displayed in him, and that's hard to understand. So maybe if we look at the Greek, we'll find something a little more palatable than that, because that is hard for us to square. I'm not going to go Greek. I have no Greek for you tonight, so We're gonna, the English does a great job here. I know some of you don't like it, but I'm, I'm hoping when we get to the top of this mountain, you're, you're going to gasp and you're going to worship. That's, that's, that's my great hope. I prayed a lot about it, and I'm trusting the Lord about it, because I know this is tough. This is not easy. This does not fit in with the way most of us perceive the world or God, which is sad because it's the way the Bible describes him. Uh, many Bible teachers, they'll even say God had nothing to do with the blindness happening, you know, but now he'll, he'll use it for his glory since it did. That's the way they'll, they'll try to reconcile this. Um, but th- that's not the questions the disciples ask. The disciples didn't say, hey, Lord, can you do something cool with this blindness? The disciples said, what, what's the deal here? Why did this happen? Why is this guy born blind? What's the purpose? Now, I, I agree that God doesn't cause diseases or birth defects, But Jeremiah 1.5 and Psalm 139 both say God knows us and is involved while we are forming in the womb. So if there's a defective chromosome somewhere in the mix of that sperm fertilizing that egg, God was aware of it and allowed it. Some of you are like, hold on, man. Hold on, man. I don't know about that. Just just hang with me. We're going to see the beauty of what seems like it seems like I'm I'm trying to make a case and indict God for not being good. <laughs> but I promise you, we're going to do the exact opposite. We just have to think. We have to, we have to open our hearts and minds to the truth of the Holy Spirit here. There's, there is a light. You know in cartoons, right, when somebody gets an idea, that light bulb pops up, man? That, that's what I'm praying for tonight. Is that, that, that thing's up there. Maybe it's off for you. But the, you know that pull chain gets pulled by the Holy Spirit and a connection gets made that, allows this to not be something that causes you distress uh, about the character of God, but something you'll be able to stand on uh, with confidence and joy, and it'll increase your trust in him. Uh, As we see this, as we see it say, it was neither that the man, the man didn't sin. This is not the result of sin. This blindness was so that the works of God could be displayed in him. As we see that, that's where we're tempted at that point to sit as judge of God's goodness or power ask questions. Why would he let this man suffer blindness from birth? Why would he let so many others, from infants to the elderly, experience pain and difficulty when he could do what Jesus did at any time right? and heal them? Why doesn't he just do that? We are tempted to go to that place. We're tempted to ask those kind of questions. You Remember I said at the beginning, the asker and the answer need the Holy Spirit's help for this? I'm, you're going to... If what we're talking about cannot be naturally discerned, without the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about will not make sense. And so that's, I'm asking you to pull by faith on the help of the Holy Spirit uh, the same way I am, because we're all going to need him tonight, okay? Amen. I'm going to say this plainly, no plainer than Jesus did, but just again so you can hear it. This man's disability was allowed by God so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm not going to shuck and jive. I'm not going to go to the Greek. That is what Jesus said. Now, I want to let you know that thinking through these things is one of the greatest ways to assess the reality of our faith. Do we really believe that we are aliens and sojourners on a short journey in this life? Can we look to eternity as our ultimate reality and join Paul in this precious and beautiful conviction? I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. Here's what he says. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, when Paul says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, Peter also talks with that kind of language in the book of First Peter. And um, when we went through that book together, I told you, I, I, the bad news for you is most of us, we think momentary light affliction. We're like, okay, yeah, you know, if I have to go through something for a couple weeks that's tough, like I can do that, you know, God will help me. When he's talking about momentary light affliction and then contrasts it immediately with the weight of eternal glory, here's what he's saying for you, dear friend. This is not a uh, wave a hanky tambourine revelation right here. He's talking about your whole life. This momentary light affliction, when he says that and then says, compare that to what the eternal weight of glory that's producing and that's setting us up for, the momentary light affliction is is all the years that God's going to give you on this earth. Part of what we need help with, part of what we need the Holy Spirit's help with, and this is so difficult because, friends, we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, but can we be honest? Will you be honest with me? I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of times, I walk by sight and not by faith. A lot of times, I get stuck in the plane of existence where I find myself, and I'm very like, I'm in this time situation, and and this doesn't seem like a momentary light affliction. Days turn into weeks, and weeks into months, and months into years, and it's hard feels long, but Paul is calling us with the help of Jesus to set our minds upon the idea that yes, to some degree, and in various ways, we will struggle as we walk through this life, as we sojourn through the 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100 years, maybe you, know, maybe you eat a lot of kale. I don't, so I'm probably not going to hit 100 years, but maybe you're on that kale thing and you're going to do 100 years, all right? Maybe you don't eat hot dogs. I do sometimes. I'm sorry. But however many years those are, can you see that? Can you, can you let your mind, by the power of the Spirit of God, wander? Let your imagination go to what eternity is. Eternity, never ending. Time no longer matters, right? Right? It's like Hook with all the broken clocks. We don't need them anymore. We don't need to keep track of time. It goes on and on forever. Stack your hundred years here, all you kale eaters. It's nothing. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's, it's the same as when you fog the mirror and, and it disappears. It's, it's a blip. That's, that's step one. It's step one. Thinking, having an eternal framework for how we perceive life and all that's going on. That's step one in understanding how what's going on here makes any sense and doesn't lead to God being some kind of monster. Really, which is what oftentimes people will level the accusation at him. Uh, this is really difficult. Thinking this way is really difficult because every day we exist in the temporal plane. We are, every day we touch and smell and see and hear that this is our this is our experience. And it takes intentional prayer-filled, seeking of our, our thoughts to be shaped by eternity. And that's hard, having our thinking shaped that way by the reality of eternity. That phrase is, listen to me, the reality of eternity. I think so many times we see this as reality. This is what's real, what I can touch and taste. That feels real. People will say that. I'll believe in God when I get some real evidence. They don't see that this really, if if, if, if this is some little block of time stacked up to the rest of all of eternity, man. That's what's real. That's reality. That's where we're headed. That's, that's what we were made for. This is, <laughs> this is, this is going to be, man, this is just some other experience. Reality is on the other side of this thing. That's, that's where it's, but it's hard to think that way. It is. Um, it's not possible without the word of God being made alive to us by the spirit of God. And and I've said this already, but I'm going to say it again. The flesh cannot comprehend these things. They are only to be spiritually discerned. There was a point um, where Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who am I? Peter said, "You're, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Jesus said, the flesh didn't reveal that to you. That's the Spirit. There are certain things, friends. This is why when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When he says, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, we need to understand how desperately we need the help of Jesus, because we can't get this right. We cannot think about it right. We cannot have an eternal framework without the help of the Holy Spirit. Without his help, we will get pulled back into an unintentional, daily grind, doldrum, this is all of reality uh, type situation every, every time. We need the Spirit of God to help us. And so that's why this is something we should uh, think about often, pray about often, ask for God's help. So this comes down to, in one way, how does suffering, and I mean all the worst kinds, I'm not sugarcoating it, all the worst kinds, how does suffering, how does any of that point us to a good and loving God? How can it? Or are, 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 are the angry, those, those that are angry and atheist, are, are, are they right? Are, are we delusional to believe that God could be good when we read things like this? that this man wasn't blind from birth because of somebody's sin. This wasn't a justice situation. This, was, this guy was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can we, how, how does suffering lead us to a good and loving God, or, or should it lead us away? Are we fools for believing these things? Um, I have heard people say many times, they've said it to me, I've heard it in other venues, that if little children's suffering brings God glory... I don't want to know or serve that God. I respect that that's where they're at, but friends, I know, I know that most of you have wrestled with these things and so have I, but we have to make sure that we think carefully and speak even more carefully about these issues. This is not something uh, that even just one time of us being together like this, we're going to be able to uh, fully wrap our minds around. This is something that And it's important because the number one accusation I hear leveled against the character of my God whom I love uh, when I'm out here preaching Jesus wherever I'm at, Uh, or I hear in the public square, the number one thing I I hear leveled at my God is if he was so good or so powerful, there wouldn't be all these bad things. There wouldn't be people born with blindness. There wouldn't be people born with disabilities. There wouldn't be people uh, that are hungry and thirsty and starving. Uh, If God was so good and so powerful, all of the results of sin and the brokenness of this world, he would fix it. He would wave a wand over it and it would be gone. He would do what Jesus did here, right? He would just spit and make mud and cover the whole earth and it'd be great. He'd fix it all. Is that that right? Is that fair? Is that true? First of all, I want to make one thing very, very clear. And we need to be able to make this distinction when we think through these things and talk about them. God is not glorified in the blindness or the sickness itself. God is not glorified in the blindness or the sickness. He's glorified in what it produces. He's glorified by what it produces. Let me read you a few verses from uh, Romans 5. This is starting in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, so not only do we exalt in hope of the glory of God, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Most of you don't use exalt in your everyday language. Substitute the word rejoice. You about got the idea. We rejoice in our tribulations as well. If you're paying attention right now, you're scratching your head. Rejoice in your tribulations. I know I'm not supposed to have a terrible attitude. I'm not supposed to curse God when I have tribulations, but hold on. I'm supposed to rejoice in my tribulations? Why would that be? That sounds like something an insane person would do. Well, he doesn't stop there. We rejoice in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance... Proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's the call, friends. And listen, I know I'm not stopping there because I know and I'm with you. I'm not preaching down to you that, hey, just get on board. The people being born blind for God's glory is cool. Let's all thumbs up that and go get something to eat. We're going to work on this. I told you we're going to climb this mountain. The view at the top is beautiful, and I'm with you because I, I have to intentionally submit my heart and mind to the truth of the Word of God and what it says about his character to not get pulled back into a, a place where, and I, don't, and I don't all the time rejoice in my tribulations. Can I just tell the truth? I don't know if you're willing to do that today, but sometimes when I'm having a hard time, I don't rejoice. Sometimes I get a bad attitude. Sometimes I get uh, angry. I get angry. At this point in my life, rarely is it ever angry at God, but I'll get angry at stuff or people or situations or whatever. Sometimes I forget that this very thing God has promised to use to give me a possibility, a potential to persevere by his grace and strength. And through that process, character is going to be built in me. And when I walk through that fire, you understand? what When you you trust God and you walk through difficult situations and you come out the other side of those things, whatever that looks like, whether it's just him giving you peace and sustaining you to persevere in it, or if, if there's some kind of deliverance like there was for this man—he got, he got the blindness was healed. He got sight. Praise God! When you come through that on the other side, there's something in you at that point that couldn't have come any other way. That's what Romans five is saying. Do you hear me? There's a perseverance, a character. There's a hope—not not the kind of hope that comes from watching, you know. Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast, just because the story always ends up nice at the end, right? This isn't Disney hope. This is real, tangible, actual hope that is the result of the fact that God said, God said if I would trust Him and rejoice in the midst of trial, that He would be there, He wouldn't leave me or forsake me, and that He would be with me through it, and that I would be all right. And then when you actually walk that process out, it increases in you the ability to stand in faith and in hope, not only for the next time. You come to the next trial, but so also you can lend that hope and faith to others that have maybe not yet experienced that. And that is the will of God for us. That we not only have faith and hope for ourselves, but enough to share. Praise God. You may be saying, yeah, okay, great verses, man, but it's ridiculous. Why would God need to use suffering for his glory? There's so many other ways he could do this. Why is suffering a part of this? And, and, and again, we're not talking about just easy stuff. All the way to the most difficult situations. Let me let me just throw this at you. You're going to have to... I, I admitted earlier that my... Especially the older I get, I get the, my imagination gets worse and worse. I was playing trucks with Max today, and that kid, man... All of a sudden, we're playing trucks, and we're doing monster trucks over the cars, and then out of nowhere, a meteor came into the picture. I don't know where the meteor came from, but dude just thought everything should get crushed. And I was like, where's the meteor, brother? Like, what? thought we were at the monster truck rally. Anyways, my imagination is as good as it used to be, but my kids helped me with that. But I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and think about this with me. So imagine you're out hiking somewhere. It's beautiful. You're picking flowers. You're doing the whole thing. Fresh air. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, you're, you're walking, you're, you're looking, not paying a whole lot of attention and and you fall into an old mine shaft. Okay. So you fall down into this thing. And, uh, it's, it's straight down, so you can't go out the way you came in. You tried. It won't work. So you start walking back into that mine shaft. You're taking turns uh, here and there, and, and you're trying to find a, a different way out. And uh, as you're doing that, eventually the, the light you have with you, it burns out. And so you're in, you're in pitch black darkness. And now you're back far enough in this thing, in this labyrinth. You can't, you can't even get back to the place where you fell in. You don't know where to go. Totally dark. You can't see anything. So you just sit And you wait. Some of you are like, well, I would just use my cell phone. Friend, cell phones don't always work. Just just imagine with me, okay? Maybe you didn't bring it. Maybe you wanted to unplug on this trip, all right? Like, your story's dumb. One day your cell phone might not work. All right, so you're in pitch black darkness. You sit and you wait. And uh, let's say you're there. You're there for two days. The the little bit of water you had, it's run out. Things are really starting to feel hopeless. You're not sure if you're going to get out of there. And then you see a light coming down that mine shaft, and it comes towards you in the darkness. And, and this guy turns, turns the corner. It's, it's a rescue worker. He's got the gear on, reflective stuff, whatever. He's got the headlamp. He's got a name tag. says, Bill, Bill the Rescue Guy. And he drops down next to you, and he says, hey, I've got a light, and I know the way out of the mine shaft. Come on, follow me. Now, here's my question. If that's you, that's your situation, you're about dead from thirst, you were just sitting there wondering what it was going to be like to cross into eternity because you'd given up hope. Here comes Bill. He's got a light, knows the way out. Is your response to him when he says, hey, come on, follow me. I can get you out of here. Are you going to be, uh, are you going to be indignant? Well you, well, you think you're pretty awesome, don't you there, Bill? You showed up here with all the answers, didn't you, Bill? Huh? Right? Is that, is that, I'm, I'm, I know it's silly, but is that, how silly would it be for that to be your response, right? This guy has what you don't have, and he's going to help you get out of this mine shaft? Are you, going to, are you going to be offended by the fact that he's got what you don't? He's got answers you don't. He's got resources that you don't, uh, and he's there to help you. Now, I don't think so. I think most of you would say, thank you, Bill. Yes, I will follow you out of the mine shaft. And there would probably be, hopefully, much more thanking and expression of gratitude uh, if not, there's something totally else wrong with you, and, and this, you'll have to come for a different sermon. Um, <clears throat> I'll work on that for you, okay? Now, here's what I want to ask you, though. Uh, j- so, how many of you would go with Bill? He shows up, and he's got the way out. He's got a light. You would, you would go with him. Anybody sit, would, that you would sit there and say, nah, this guy thinks he's all that. Anybody hanging out? Like, nah. See if someone else shows up. Okay, good. Nobody. Now, now, this is serious. Now, imagine Bill had come up to you two days before, before you'd fallen in the mine shaft. You, you, were, you were doing good, so you thought. Everything was beautiful. As far as you were concerned, I'm A-OK. Let's say the same guy, who I'm assuming you'd be super thankful he showed up when he showed up in the mine shaft, if, if he had come two days before and just hopped out from behind a, a juniper tree, been like, hey, I'm Bill, follow me. How many of you would follow him then? I know the way. Come with me. What's the difference? Here's the truth, friends. Spiritually, we were all in a mine shaft with no light and no hope. And sometimes some of you are today. And a lot of times we sit down there and we pretend real hard that it's all okay when it's not. Here, here's, here's the reality. Here's what this silly analogy hopefully showed you. Suffering oftentimes is the only way we can be humbled and made to realize our need for God. Because if Bill the rescue ranger had showed up two days before when you were on the trail, you would have had nothing to do with him. But spend two days in the mine and all of a sudden realize that you're, you're not quite the super hiker you thought you were. <laughs> that maybe you don't have all the resources you need to solve this problem. And all of a sudden, Bill's help looks pretty enticing. Looks like something maybe I should listen to. <clears throat> I think we need to ask ourselves as we, as we think through these things. What, what if this man in the story hadn't been born blind? What if he hadn't been born blind? Would he have even been there that day when Jesus passed? Or would he have been out working in the field or doing some other thing? Would he have even been there when the Lord of glory passed by? And if he was there and he had his sight his whole life, would he have scoffed at him like so many others, feeling like he had no need of Jesus? Or, or even worse, like some did, would he have felt like he was superior to the master? God knew what that man needed and when that intersection was going to happen and how all that was going to go down. And you might say, but it's not worth it. Why why, why was he born blind? God could have just struck him blind a year before. Friend, this is where you begin. When those types of thoughts, that's when you go and you climb up in the judge's seat and you decide you know more than God. Okay? You don't. You don't. And here's what I believe about God. God cared very much about that man's eternity. God cared very much about the eternity of those that were going to witness Jesus spitting in some mud that day and healing a blind man. Jesus cared very much about the eternity of the people involved. And eternity was affected that day. What if he wasn't blind? How would he have reacted? Would he, would he have been in the right place at the right time? The blind man, after all this happened, he gets called in by the religious leaders. They want to know this, that, and the other thing because they don't like Jesus. The blind man told the religious leaders in the synagogue what happened. He, he gives them the lowdown, tells them the story, and he also says, I think Jesus is from God. Uh, if you go back and read it, I'm not going to read it now, but I, I think you should, read, read the whole story, because the guy gets, he kind of gets pretty, pretty smart with <laughs> the religious leaders, he, he kind of puts them in their place. They end up saying, you know, you were, you were born entirely in sin, Do you think you can teach us? So he obviously struck a nerve, but uh, after he tells them what he thought happened, that, Jesus is from God and he's the one that healed me. They kick him out of the synagogue. This is not just like, hey, get out of here. It's uh, basically we're ostracizing you from the community here. You're out, man. And then, uh, then what happens is Jesus comes back and finds him and Jesus has a conversation with the guy that got healed. That's recorded in uh, John 9, verses 35 through 41. So if you're still there and you want to look at it with me, you can. I'm going to read it. Uh, right now, this is the conversation Jesus has with the man who was formerly known as blind. Okay? Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. You see how Jesus thinks about this? You see You see what, what these guys needed was to have a humble acknowledgement of their need and their blindness. This guy knew, this guy had physical blindness, and that's what helped him to see he needed Jesus. These religious leaders thought they had it all together. They said, hold on, we're not blind. You're not, talk- you're not speaking about us, are you, Jesus? And Jesus flat tells them, oh, if you were blind, what's he mean by that? If you really knew where you're at, if you really knew the condition that you're in, if you really knew how much you have need of me, you wouldn't have any sins because you would put your trust in me. But because you see, because you've got it all under control, because you think you know everything, your sin remains. You're in trouble. Here's here's the truth. Sometimes it isn't just your eternity that is affected in situations like this. Many in the crowd that day saw what happened. Here's my question to you. Once this guy, this guy that was blind but now sees, the guy that was blind from birth so that the works of God could be made manifest and be displayed through him, once he got to eternity with Jesus, once he died, however, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how old he lived. Maybe he ate kale too. Maybe he outlived Jesus by a long time. I don't know. But eventually, he died. And eventually, based on his profession of faith here uh, and the interaction he had with Christ, I believe, Uh, It's very likely that he was with Jesus in in eternity. Once he got there, here's my question. If there was even one other person, if there was one other eternal soul that was there with Jesus eternally instead of separated from God because he was blind and, and because that day the works of God were able to be shown in him, if there was even one other person besides himself, because I don't think he would have surrendered his life to Jesus had he not been blind. But here's, And this is what I'm trying to get you to, I'm trying to, get you to emotionally put yourself in this place, friend. Can you, can you guess? What do you think the answer is? That he gets to eternity and finds out that, yes, all those years of blindness, all the struggle, ending up a beggar at the gate... But he gets to the end of his life, and he's in eternity with Jesus. And somebody else that day saw the power of Christ as he spit in the clay and brought... Part of what the guy says when he's arguing with the the guys in the synagogue, he says, nobody has ever seen someone show up and make blind eyes see. He said, I think this guy's from God. Other people saw it that day, friends. And here's what I'm asking you. If one other person turned from their sin to trust in Christ that day because the power of God was displayed in the healing of this man's blindness, here's my question to you. You think he was mad, glad, or sad about it? You think he thought it was worth it? What do you think we should think about it? Is there any degree of suffering that we could go through that if that there's a possibility of us walking through that by the power of God and with the help of his Holy Spirit, that someone else sees the reality of the power of God in us, if that's how that goes and that affects eternity, not only for ourselves but for other people, is it worth it? Is that, is that the action of a loving God, to be more focused upon the eternal destination of those that he loves as opposed to what's going on in the temporal are you glad that the God that we serve thinks on an eternal time frame as opposed to getting stuck down in the mud of the temporal like we do? I am. I hope you are. Now, some of you might be, I hope you are. I hope you're really thinking about this because people you're going to talk to about this, are gonna, they're going to think about it, uh, which is what we're supposed to do. So you might be saying, yeah, okay, this story, that's great. God, God is glorified because Jesus shows up, and what happens? This guy gets a healing. That's awesome. Spit in the mud, eyes are open, Woohoo! right? We got a healing. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, lots of times God doesn't heal people. Sometimes that happens. How can there be any glory in that? Sometimes Jesus doesn't show up and spit on stuff. Sometimes there's not this immediate... Breakthrough. Then, how do we think about that? Well, Paul experienced that. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's talking about the fact that Jesus taught Paul a lot of stuff and put him in a pretty important position as uh, an apostle to the Gentiles and writing much of the New Testament. And so, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because of all God taught me for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes Jesus doesn't show up and spit on stuff. Sometimes God is most glorified when he empowers you by his grace to persevere through that difficult thing. Sometimes, and here's what you need to understand, most of us are in the middle of a difficult thing right now, we believe we would give God most glory and we would be most grateful to God if he would alleviate the pain right now. Is, is that right or wrong? Most of us believe that way. Whether it's physical pain, it's emotional torment we're going through, whether it's spiritual warfare, whatever it is, most of us believe if, if Jesus would just spit on this thing that we're struggling with and get rid of it, that that would lead to the most... that God would be glorified and, and I would be most grateful. And here, that again, you need to understand... That may not be true. Do you remember the story where Jesus healed 10 lepers? Jesus, 10 guys that had a death sentence because they had leprosy. They had nothing going for them. They were going to die when all their flesh finally rotted off of them. This is where they were headed. They had no hope. Jesus shows up, heals 10 of them. Let me ask you something. Do you remember how many came back to say thank you? One. One. Well, I'm not one of the nine lepers. You overassume. You You overassume sometimes what or who you are or who you might be. And here's what I'm saying to you. If God would receive most glory and it would be the absolute, and it would be the best thing for you to heal you right this moment of whatever the thing is you're struggling with, he would do it. That's what I want you to believe because that puts you in a place to trust him and be patient when he doesn't and know he is working something. Friend, he's working something. He hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't fallen asleep on you. He sees you right where you're at. He knows how bad it hurts and it hurts him too. Do you think if one of my children are hurting, the easiest thing for me would be to fix it, man? Stop, make it stop. And, and I'm, just, I'm just an earthly father with a broken, shattered, halfway, maybe reflection of the love God has for us. His love is totally perfect. So if he is allowing you to continue to struggle, friend, he's he's, he's drawing you to him in the best way possible. Because some of us, if he took that thing off of us right now, we'd be the nine lepers. Yes, we might leap and yes, we might dance, but we would not be back at the feet of the master telling him thank you we'd be right back out to our foolishness. Are you humble enough to say that's possible of me? Are you humble enough to say maybe yes? Yeah, if God healed me of whatever it is the thing I'm struggling with right now, I may be one of the nine lepers. God, make us the 10th. In Jesus' name, make us the 10th. I don't believe that hell is more terrified of anything than a Christian Christian who can say with true conviction, I'm sick, or my child is sick, I'm in pain, or my child's in pain, and God is good. I am inspired and indebted to those of you in this church who are battling inexplicably hard situations and declaring at the very same time that God is good. So thank you. I honor you and I love you and I'm standing with you by faith. And I promise you you will never you'll never know until that great and glorious day how much it matters that you're standing in faith right now. It matters. People see. You may not know. You likely don't. People are watching. It's going to matter for eternity. Glory to God. Your faith and your perseverance matters. My friends, all of this comes down to one thing. One thing, can you believe that God being glorified is not only right because of who he is, right? Let's just start there. God receiving glory is right because he's God. Yes? You with me on that? Okay. Can you believe that, but also that God's glory is the absolute greatest good for you or anyone else? that God being glorified is good for you. If it wasn't, it wouldn't matter because God is worthy of glory whether it has any effect on us. But I'm asking you to also believe this because I think the Bible teaches it. That God's glory is right because he's God, but it is also the best possible thing for us or anybody that will ever know. How do I say that? God is about his glory because he deserves it. But simultaneously... He is about his glory because he loves you. And the more you love and adore him, and the more glorious he is to you, to you, dear one, the more glorious he is to you, the more joy and peace and abundant life you will have. I spoke earlier of a light bulb, and my prayer to God is that this light bulb would go off for you by the power of the Holy Spirit today. And it's difficult because many times you're going to hear the glory of God being contrasted with the love of God as if these are two competing elements of his character and nature. And what I'm trying to get you to see today, my friends, is that God's glory and God's love are so tightly interwoven that they can't be separated. It's not two different things. He is about his glory, but it's not because he's some narcissistic egomaniac. Much of why he's about his glory is because he loves you so much, and the best possible thing for you is to see him as glorious and good so that he is your greatest treasure, so that he is the thing that you pursue above all else, so that you are not able to be mired in the mud, the deception, and the lies that this world and and, and all the forces of darkness would try to pull you into so that you would focus your affection and your attention, your eyes and your heart upon this great and glorious God that is what you were made for that is where you're headed if you have put faith in Christ and is what you are absolutely going to find the greatest joy and purpose and hope is when you love God and you are overcome by his beautiful glory he is not an egomaniac as some have leveled the accusation all of this the whole thing is about this ultimate purpose he has of us and him forever He is glorious, and he is worthy of all praise and honor. He is worthy of every single part of our lives being laid down for the purpose of his exaltation. Yes and amen. However, at the very same time, the very best thing for you, the child whom he loves, is to see him as glorious. Because that will cause you to pursue the things that will lead to life and love and hope and joy for you, as opposed to the things we so often end up pursuing and getting stuck in. Friend, I hope you can see that. I'm asking you to think as much as you possibly can about how God's glory and God's love are tied together because the more you buy that, the better off you'll be. And the more God's kingdom will move forward. Hallelujah. I want to read this to you again. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I know, man, I know it doesn't seem momentary or light sometimes. I realize that's true, and I join you in that. I promise when my kids have the flu for a week, I, I'm, I'm tempted to run from these truths, right? It's like, my I just want my kids to be I'm dealing with the, the results of sin in the world, and it's like... God, just heal him. That would be the best thing. Yeah, I know the best thing. And then I realized, no, man, I don't, actually. that God is good, and sometimes He heals. And sometimes He tells us, "My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to be with you through this, and you're going you're to make it and persevere and that's going to lead you to the most hope, and it's going to lead to the most glory for me. Sometimes I'm tempted to run from these truths because if we're honest, we are often weak and fickle, and we are foolish without the help of Jesus. But with him, by our side, we can stand in the face of any darkness, no matter how overwhelming, and declare, my God is good and worthy to be praised. We need his help for this. The gospel teaches us that apart from Christ, we all suffer a malady far worse than blindness or sickness. The fact of the matter is, it is amazing that any of us is born with sight or with hearing. The world is so broken by sin and its effects, it is only by God's grace that the whole thing has not imploded. He is holding it together. He is enduring a pain and suffering from sin that we can't even begin to imagine because he is patiently waiting for as many as possible to see the light to embrace by faith the truth about Jesus to be saved from sin and to spend eternity with him. Are you sure about it? yeah, yeah, I've got a verse for that. Peter told me that. Go check it out. That's what God's doing. Would it be better if God would just end this thing? The world's so bad. Oh, I agree. I agree. And many days I yearn for that. But when I'm thinking right, I understand that God is God. Jesus is the Lord over time. And this thing's going to come to an end exactly when God declares it. And he's on a mission. He's called us to be a part of that mission to get as many people as possible the good news that as broken as they may be, as hopeless as it may seem, as dark as it may be for them, that there is hope in Christ, that there is light and love and there is life to be had and it's in a person and his name is Jesus and, and that they are welcome to come and to taste and see that he is good. we got to make the most of our time because the days are evil we can't sit and have a pity party about the evil days. We have to join our God in doing something about it. Jesus does something about it, friends. He's asked us to as well. Thankful for the gospel. Thankful that it tells me the bad news straight up so that I understand. I am blind. I'm not going to be like those religious leaders. I know I'm blind. Jesus, I'm blind. Touch these eyes. Lord, Come. I need you to touch these eyes because I don't know. And I need you. That's where we got to be. That's what we got to be. May we be a people who are not afraid of real and difficult questions because God isn't. May we be a people who not only endure but rejoice in tribulation because we know that Jesus uses it for his glory and our good. And may we treasure God above everything and anything. And may we see God's love intertwined with his glory. And may we bow before him in worship. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for the, uh, I thank you for the bravery of whoever asked this question. Lord, I ask you uh, to <clears throat> just minister life and hope and peace to them. Uh, and God, may we all rejoice in the truth of your word. I thank you that your word doesn't skip over difficult stuff, but it goes right into it, deals with it. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you're not scared of our questions. I thank you, Lord, that uh, these have all been asked before, and I thank you that you're loving and patient in the way that you deal with us. Thank you, Lord, that you... Know that we are oftentimes fickle, sometimes we're foolish, but you've offered us the help of your Holy Spirit, that we will be able to walk in strength and wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for everything that we've seen in your word today, God. We, we, we confess as your people that oftentimes we walk by sight and not by faith. Oftentimes, Lord God, our mind is very fixated on what's going on around us and things in this temporal world, Lord, and, and, and we can't see past that. Lord, we ask you to help us to have an eternal perspective. Let absolutely every decision we make, all the words we speak, the way we allocate resources, all that we do with all of our life, may it be run through the grid of the fact that eternity is what's real and that we are simply sojourners and aliens passing through in this time. God, help us to join you in the conviction that we need to make the most of our time because the days are evil. There is much suffering. There is much brokenness. There is much hopelessness. But I thank you that there is a true and a beautiful answer to all of that. And that his name is Jesus. Lord, may we come humbly. May we not come to you as if we see. May we know that we are blind and in desperate need of you. God, and when we approach others, may we... (laughs) May we not come at them like know-it-alls, but Lord, may we come as simple beggars that found bread wanting to share it with someone else. God, may we be able to relate to the fact that people are struggling just because the light has been shown in our hearts, just because maybe we do see with spiritual eyes, God. May we never, because of that, become prideful, but may we stay humble in every moment knowing that it is by grace alone nothing we've earned. It is only because of your good favor that we have any of what we have, any spiritual discernment, any chance of being able to see and understand the truth and the goodness of your glory. God, I pray for my family, these people that I love. I pray that you would continue to connect for them the reality of your glory and your love, that these are not competing attributes of your character, but may we continue to ponder and understand how it is your love and your glory go together that one is tied to the other and vice versa. Lord, help us to see it. Please show us things. Please do, Lord, in our hearts and minds, things we could never do ourselves. Oh God, may all of this lead to your glory. We care about your glory. and We want to see more of it in the earth. We love you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.